Welcome to another podcast episode of DIY Guitar Making. I also produce video episodes of DIY Guitar Making live in the workshop. To find both the podcasts and the videos all in one place, go to DIYGuitarMaking.com. You can even subscribe to the email list there to receive new episodes, both the videos and the podcasts, directly in your inbox as they come out. Again, that's DIYGuitarMaking.com. And with that, let's get to the show. Hey guys, this is just a special note for the listener, particularly if you are listening to this podcast soon after it has come out. I am adding the old Q&A episodes that are normally on my DIY guitar making YouTube channel. I am adding those to the library of the podcast, starting from the earliest Q&A until I'm, I work my way up to the current day, in which case then... As new Q&As come out, they will be loaded to both the podcast and the YouTube channel and my website. So anyway, all of this is just to say, if you're listening to this soon after it came out, some of the uh, sort of promotional things that I mentioned about the online courses and the workshops and things like that might be out of date. If you want current information on that, just go to my website, ericschaferguitars.com. Welcome back to DIY Guitar Making at Eric Schaefer Guitars. My name is Eric Schaefer, and today I'm answering your questions from the comments. I have a question about bending a Florentine cutaway. I have a question about sources for downloading guitar patterns. I have a question about radiusing fret wire. A question about how I make my headstock inlays. A question about the dimensions of a mortise and tenon. Another question about inlays, this time about inlays on a fretboard. And finally, I have a question about the radius of the plates. If you have a question that you'd like to have answered in the future episode, just write your question in the comments. And let's go ahead and get right into it. Okay, so the first question I have is from Brennan McCarthy, and he's asking about doing a Florentine cutaway. This guitar right here was in the background of one of my videos and he was asking how I do this bend right here. This bend is called a Florentine cutaway as opposed to a bend that is that doesn't come to a point, a gradual bend, which is called a Venetian cutaway. So the Florentine cutaway, if you can see this, is actually two different pieces right here. So for the whole guitar, Normally you have two pieces, one on this side and one on the bass side. One on the treble side, one on the bass side. Uh, but with a Florentine, you actually have a third piece for the cutaway section as well. Whereas on a Venetian bend, the side would be bent and the cutaway would simply be bent into the side along with the waist and the other parts of the, the bend. So first of all, that's the two types of bends, that's what makes this bend different is the fact that it, this bend comes to a point and it's made of two separate pieces instead of just one. Now doing a cutaway like this, a Florentine cutaway, is going to be significantly more involved than doing a Venetian cutaway. A Venetian cutaway, however, might be more difficult in a different way because you, you're more prone to breaking aside when you're doing such a severe bend as you get on a Venetian cutaway. With the Florentine, at least you're dealing with two separate pieces, so it's a lot easier 
for it to bend without breaking. However, on the front end of things, the prep work, it's going to be more involved. And let me show you what I mean. I'm going to show you some of the uh, jigs and or the molds, really, that I had to build, the extra molds, to be able to do a Florentine cutaway. Okay, so you look at all this, uh, it's pretty significant as far as work. All of these were made out of MDF with a flush trim router bit. I would make a single piece, and I know I've explained this process before in many, many videos, the process of creating molds by um, making a, a template piece and then duplicating it many times on a flush trim router bit. So that's what I did to get all of this set up. You can see that even this large mold right here, this bending mold, is made in a similar fashion with many pieces of MDF duplicated off of the last one. So it takes a while, honestly, to, to build this, to be set up to make Florentine cutaways. But Florentine cutaways, I think, are just super cool. They're super stylish. Uh, they look a lot better, at least for the type of guitars that I build. So I think it's worth it, you know, to give that little extra something to your guitar. Um, gives you a little something extra, especially in, in the market, if you're trying to sell your guitars, to be able to be one of the, the guys out there that's actually offering a cutaway model, specifically a Florentine cutaway model, which again is just a more stylish um, cutaway. So what are all these molds that I have right here? This one right here, if you saw my videos, the last three videos that I did, which were on machine bending, this replaces the form that I had in the bending mold, but this is specifically for just that small little cutaway section right here. And then this, I had to make even a separate shoe for the bending machine. This goes right in there. So this is what presses down into the mold. And then these are for gluing down the separate pieces. Because unlike with a non-cutaway guitar, with a cutaway guitar, I have to glue the blocks in stages. I have to glue the neck block to this side right here and to part of the cutaway down here, which is coming in at an, an angle here. Not just an angle, but it's coming in at a contour. This gluing mold right here is set up specifically for that contoured angle right here. I can shape the neck block on here and then glue it in place using this mold as a backstop. And once that's done, I can then glue this little thing that I call the tip block. I think most people call it the tip block, which is just a little block that holds the smaller piece to the larger piece of the bent side. And you can see it a little better there. That's what this mold is for here. And you can see I have these little extra cuts here because when the sides are initially bent, they're bent a little bit oversized so that the excess side material can actually sit in those relieved areas right there. And this would just go in place like, have it backwards, hold on. Go in place just like that. 
and I can clamp that in place. Well, first of all, I actually shape this tip block in here by adding sandpaper to the mold and just sanding back and forth. And then I can glue this into this mold right here, just like this. And that's pretty much it. Um, well, I shouldn't say that's pretty much it. That is a window into the world of what it takes to make a Florentine cutaway. Um, of course, there's little nuances here and there, but I just wanted to give an idea of the extra work that's involved. Not only the extra prep work, but if you think about it, every individual side that I bend in that way is going to take quite a bit longer because I have to do all those extra um, sanding and, and gluing steps before I can get to the point where the, the sides are completely bent and they're attached to their blocks. And the next question is from Siavash Ansari. Siavash writes, is there a source for downloading guitar patterns? So I'm assuming, Siavash, that you're talking about uh, specifically downloading. You said downloading, so I'm taking you at your word there that you mean downloading and not purchasing a physical copy of plans. Because you can purchase paper plans, which will be mailed to you uh, from Stuart McDonald, LMI, and a whole bunch of other places. And there's a pretty good selection there, too, at Stuart McDonald and LMI, especially if you're just looking for something very sort of run-of-the-mill, like um, orchestra model plans or dreadnought plans or something like that. They'll have all of that. Now, for downloads, like, say, a PDF download of plans for whatever, you know, a dreadnought guitar or whatever you're looking for, I would check out a company called Georgia Luthery Supply, or it's Georgia Luthier Supply. Let me go, let me check that real quick. Luthier Supply, okay. It's Georgia Luthier Supply, not Luthery. And they're pretty good. Um, I actually haven't bought anything from them, so I say they're pretty good from, you know, looking at their website, and I've had a lot of students purchase plans through them. We're, we're not affiliated in any way, but, you know, I point to them when people are looking for uh, PDF plans as opposed to physical paper plans that you could buy from StuMac or LMI. Okay, Yohef988 writes, do you over radius the fret just like a standard fret or do you match the radius of the fret to the fingerboard precisely? So what he's saying is, let's say you have a 12 inch fretboard radius, do you try and get those frets to be exactly a 12-inch radius before you hammer them in, or do you over-radius them and then, and then hammer them in that way, which is preferred? That precise match is technically ideal. If you're going to err on one side or the other, you want it to be an over-radius, and it's really not much of a problem at all, even if you're severely over-radiused compared to your um, radius on the board. That is much better, much more preferred than the converse, which would be your, ad your frets are too flat. They're at an under-radius. Well, the problem that you run into there is when you try to hammer one side of the fret in, the other side is almost always going to pop out, and then, uh, especially if your fret slots are not beveled, it's very likely that when that other side pops out, it's going to take a piece of chunk of wood 
right along with it, especially if it's ebony, because ebony is really brittle like that, and it just very easily breaks apart. Oh, and so he asked this um, specifically about a video that I did on Evo Gold. So he's talking about Evo Gold here, and I made a, an extra special note here when I responded to him to say that with the Evo Gold, you can actually only purchase that in, at least as far as I've seen, in pre-radiused coils. So the fret wire already has an over-radius to it. And the reason they do that is because Evo Gold happens to be um, of a certain material where when you try to bend it yourself at home, you're almost always going to break it. It's just a little too brittle. Stainless steel fret wire, I'm sorry, not stainless steel, nickel silver fret wire will bend in a fret bender very easily without breaking. Evo Gold will not. So your answer to this question is kind of, it's already answered for you because with the Evo Gold, you can only buy it in an extreme over radius for whatever radius your fretboard is anyway. And that's actually an okay thing. The fact that it's well over radius to your fret wire, I wouldn't worry about that. Again, much better than an under radius. Precisely matched is ideal, but it's much better to have that over radius than it is to have an under radius. So Andreas Kickenborg, Kickenborg, Kickenborg. I don't know why that's so hard for me to say. Andreas Kickenborg, Borg, um, <laughs> writes, how do you make your logo on your guitar? So what I do for, for my guitars, the way that I like to put a logo on it and, you know, brand myself is through wood inlay. So here's what I do. I'm assuming you already have an, a design in mind for your logo. You take that design, and if it's digital, you print it out. If it's non-digital, it's just, you know, drawn on a piece of tracing paper or something like that. You make an extra copy of it, of course, because you don't want to mess with your original here. You make an extra copy of it, and you're going to stick that down to whatever material you intend to use as the inlay, be it pearl or wood or copper or whatever. And then, oh, I like to stick it down, by the way. Some people use uh, different types of glue but I like to use double stick tape, actually. I think it works fantastic for this. Uh, you just gotta be careful when you're sticking it down. It's real easy to put it down in a way that the paper you know, crinkles and your whole image is distorted, but that's okay. As long as you have several copies, you can try it once or twice and, and get it down real good with that, especially if you have something like a tennis ball or something like that to roll out the paper so that you don't get those crinkles on it. And then I'm taking a jeweler's saw and I'm very carefully cutting out that inlay right on my lines. One mistake that a lot of people make with this is they cut outside the lines thinking, oh, I will carefully sand or otherwise finesse my way down to the lines after I cut it out. Um, that's actually a really bad plan because the jeweler saw is about as precise of a tool as you can get. So... If you cut it out oversized and then plan on sanding down to it or filing down to your final shape, it's probably going to look worse, not better, than if you just try and be as precise as you can with your initial cuts with the jeweler saw. Cut it out with the jeweler saw, and then I route out a pocket with a Dremel tool. You need a good router base for your Dremel tool. I like to use a 3 seconds of an inch spiral down cut bit. 
But then I also have much smaller bits that I actually acquire from a local dentist who um, he actually sterilizes used bits that he uses in dental work. He sterilizes them for me. I go down there, I pick it up. He actually doesn't charge me anything. So anyway, I use those very fine, very small bits to route out a pocket. And usually that pocket is a little bit oversized so that the inlay can fit in there and then any small gaps that are around the inlay, I can fill in with ebony dust and super glue. Of course, that's gonna depend on what type of wood you're using for a head plate there. But in general, any dark woods, if you use ebony dust and super glue, it's gonna make those gaps virtually disappear. And that's basically it. Then I sand the whole thing down level, of course, and you've got yourself a good looking inlay. Okay, and the next question, Rene Relier, Man, I'm so bad at this today. Rene Relier writes, Hi, sir. I'm going to make a mortise and tenon to joint the neck of my third acoustic guitar. What would be the required sizes for that mortise and tenon for an OM guitar, or how can I determine that myself? Okay, this is actually really easy. The dimensions of the mortise and tenon don't really change much when you're going up from, say, an OM to a dreadnought or, or going down from a dreadnought to an OM. Whatever you're doing... The dimensions are pretty much the same with one exception. And here I have a, just a demo neck right here. With one exception, and that's the height of the tenon. So, or the height of the, the mortise. They're, they're both going to change in proportion to each other, of course, because one fits inside the other. The height is going to change as the body depth changes, of course. So if you have a really shallow guitar body, then this obviously is going to get shorter. If you have a really fat guitar body, then the tenon can continue out. And the exact number, the exact measurement of the height of the tenon is actually not a super critical dimension anyway. I have a simple rule that I follow that I didn't, that I came up with myself. And again, it's very non-critical. And it's that I measure 11 millimeters off of the back surface of the guitar, and that is where the end of my tenon will be, and thus the end of my mortise, as far as the height is concerned. As far as the width going this way, just keep it the same. Whatever you're doing for uh, whatever other size guitar that you're using, when you switch to an orchestra model, Nothing else changes in that regard. Same thing with the depth, which is it going this way. Keep that the same. Why would it change if you're, you know, changing your scale length or anything like that? The answer is it wouldn't. It's not affected by the scale length. It's also not affected by how large the upper and the lower bouts of the guitar are. The depth and the width should all stay the same. The only thing that changes is the height, which is the distance from here to the peak of the tenon and the mortise down here. Okay, and another question. T5766L, that's that's a great name. Um, a lot easier for me to pronounce than some of the other ones. Uh, writes, I bought a guitar with no inlays. Can I have them installed when already built? Um, yeah, of course you can. So... The only issues you run into there are the fact that the 
Fretboard is already radiused, and even more importantly, the frets are already installed, and so they're kind of in your way when you go to level those inlays. So it's definitely doable, but it's less than ideal. I, I prefer to put the inlays in while the fretboard is still flat, for one, because it's much easier to locate the centers when um, there's no radius on the board. But again, it's not... It's not impossible with the radius. It's just a, a little harder. You got to use a flexible straight edge and, and just be very careful when you're marking out for your centers. And then your other challenge, of course, is going to be the fact that the frets are already there and they're in the way. Normally, when you install an inlay into the fretboard, the frets are not installed. And so you can still sand. You can take a, a radius beam with sandpaper on it and sand those inlays down flush without worrying about the frets being in the way. Now, with the frets being in the way, you need something like uh, a sanding stick. You just have to be very careful trying to sand that inlay that's poking up down flush ever so carefully without um, sanding heavily in the surrounding area. So it's possible. Just go slow with a sanding stick. Okay, so Redbach23 writes, why is it called a 40-foot radius? And what he's referencing is my radiusing and curfing the sides video. Okay, so imagine a 40-foot radius on a circle. If you don't know what a radius is, a radius is the distance from the very center of the circle out to the circumference of the circle. So it's half of the diameter. So a 40-foot radius on a circle would make for a very large circle. And now imagine the contour of that circle applied to a very small object like a guitar body. And the radius on a guitar body starts to make sense because that radius, a 40-foot radius, when applied to a guitar body, appears almost flat. Because again, it's based off of that imaginary enormous circle that is much larger than the guitar itself, which makes for a very broad and nearly flat-looking radius on the guitar. If you enjoyed this and you learned something here, please subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform that you are enjoying this on at the moment. And if you want to really learn more, take one of my structured online courses at ericschaferguitars.com or you can register for a hands-on guitar building workshop here with me in Burnville, Pennsylvania. Bye for now.